context for our passage today. Again, we are, as he said, we are in Matthew chapter 13, and Witt read for us very important context. Uh, Ray, who was just leading us, thank you, brother, can tell you that I've been thinking for some weeks about this passage that I want to bring to us this morning. Uh, it's not really our custom at all to say things around here like, you know, God told me to preach this sermon, so I would pretty much never say that. Uh, on the other hand, I do take seriously uh, the Lord and His Word and the trust that I have to bring His Word to you. Uh, that's, a, that's a high honor. And so I do pray regularly about uh, the choice of the sermon and the text. And so this morning it is in Matthew 13. The text this morning is Matthew 13, 24 through 30. By the way, uh, what a joy it is and what a, unfortunately, minority position it is to be in as a pastor to have such a church to preach to, a uh, praying church, an encouraging church, a church who wants to hear the word. Uh, that is unfortunately not always the case, and I do not take it for granted. So that's where we'll be this morning, Matthew 13, 24 through 30. The title this morning is this, Weeds and the God Who Will Deal with Evil. Weeds and the God who will deal with evil. So hopefully you're there in Matthew chapter 13. In just a minute we'll begin in Matthew 13, 24. Could I ask you to stand with me if you would, if you're physically able? Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the four gospels where we as believers, especially and, and also all people, can come face to face with your Son, our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us this morning in this gospel of Matthew with this chapter that is totally devoted to parables we thank you that Jesus explained to us, as Witt just read, we thank you that he explained the parable of the sower. Pray that the seed, your seed of the word of the gospel, Lord, we pray that it would find fertile soil this morning. Lord, help us in our weakness that we would rejoice in you and your strength. We pray for clarity, simplicity. Pray for a focus on Jesus and the gospel. Lord, help us now in these, these minutes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain standing for the reading of our text. Again, Matthew 13, 24. Would you look at it with me? Listen carefully. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared... To a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. 
So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. Matthew thirteen twenty seven. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. You can be seated. Thank you. Well, we might have some uh, Chicago sports fans here this morning. I don't know. I know we have at least at least a few who are familiar uh, a good bit with the city of Chicago and have experience, real life experience there, and maybe still go through the ups and downs of pulling for those teams. You may know that many, many, many decades ago, maybe you've heard that there was a great fire in the city of Chicago here in our United States. You've heard also perhaps of the man D.L. Moody and uh, Dwight Moody. Dwight L. Moody survived the devastating great Chicago fire in, do you know when it was? A long time ago, like I said, it was in 1871, the Great Chicago Fire. And afterwards, he spoke of the dreadful scene. And here's what Moody, here's what D.L. Moody said after he, by God's grace, was brought through the Chicago Fire. He said this, listen, it was my sad lot to be in the Chicago Fire. As the flames rolled down our streets, destroying every tiling in their onward march, I saw the great and the honorable the learned and the wise, fleeing before the fire with the beggar and the thief and the harlot. All were alike. As the flames swept through the city, it was like the judgment day. Neither the mayor nor the mighty men nor the wise men could stop these flames. They were all on a level then, and many who were worth hundreds of thousands. That's a hundred and... 50 years ago, they were worth hundreds of thousands. Many of these wealthy people were left paupers that night. Moody says, when the day of judgment comes, there will be no difference. All sinners will suffer. When the day of judgment comes, there will be no difference. All sinners will suffer. We spoke in our prayer time this morning. Pastor James prayed about the the horrific Horrific suffering going on presently in Syria and Turkey. We've talked before about Luke chapter 13 and what does Jesus have to say about great catastrophes like this. One thing that he says to us is, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so yes, dear friends, as we look at this passage this morning, yes, we do need to think about hell and we need to think about the final judgment Just as we were doing last week in Hebrews chapter 1, we also want to think a little bit today about angels as well. About angels. We need to see, friends, that sometimes we might, listen to me, 
we might be impatient and not understand just how God is working in this world. Remember the title of the sermon this morning, Weeds and the God who will deal with all evil. And the problem with us is, as I just said, we might be impatient and we might not understand and we might even accuse God, Lord, what are you doing? Why? Why do you let evil run rampant in your world? It is your world, right, God? Why do you allow evil people sometimes seemingly to go unchecked? Why do you allow evil in this world to run rampant? We do not understand. And this passage helps us. This passage helps us in our perfectionism. Don't raise your hand. Anybody here struggle struggle with perfectionism or impatience? Let's notice two things and two headings, and then we want to see some lessons after we notice these two headings. So the first heading is going to be the parable itself, and then the second heading will simply be the explanation of the parable. And then we want to look at, as I say, some lessons. We want to look at some lessons from this parable, which is Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Weeds and the God who will deal with all evil. Look at it again as we think about our first heading, which is the parable itself. Matthew 13, verse 24, look at it. He put another parable before them. What's, why does he say another parable? Well, he's just finished graciously explaining and not leaving them into the dark, in the dark about what the parable of the sower meant. So the parable of the sower was the first parable. And in verse 24, he put a ne- another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. So boys and girls of of all ages, the story basically goes like this, if I could just briefly summarize it. He's talking about this man who sowed good seed in his field, and that's exactly what he did. Don't forget the reference point. Don't forget what all of this is about. Really, pretty much all of chapter 13 is speaking about the kingdom of heaven. to talk to his disciples later, but to the crowds, he says, listen, listen. Master of the house, these bond servants, as they're literally called, they say, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? This, this baffled them. 
we can understand why. What, what's going on? Didn't you sow good seed? There would be no reason, of course, for him to, to sow bad seed. He was a good master. He knew what he was doing. And he said, yes, I did sow good seed in my field. Well, then what about these weeds? How did that happen? Here's the answer. An enemy has done this. An enemy has done this. Well, well, surely you want us to go and, and to go ahead and go right now, right? To, to uproot these weeds. No. Bind them up in bundles to be burned, and then after that, they will gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So that's the parable of the weeds, or the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Again, we're thinking about this first heading, the parable itself. We are told this, we are told that the weed in this case is almost certainly uh, darnel. Darnel, a weed that looks so much like wheat that distinguishing one from the other is only possible when the grains appear on the stalk. If a person were to plant the seeds together, it would be virtually impossible to separate the wheat from the weeds until the time of harvest. During the time of the Roman Empire, planting darnel in a wheat field as an act of revenge was so common that the Romans had to criminalize it. Darnel is not only an inferior wheat lookalike, it is a poisonous grain. Left with the wheat, it will contaminate the entire harvest. End quote. That's from Moeller. He goes on to say this, it would risk destroying the entire crop. And by the way, it's just a little, just a little thing I want us to think about. I certainly can... Uh, Struggle, is that the word? With uh, perfectionism sometimes, including in a, in a sinful way. And we think about these, these servants. Can we go and get it now? This isn't right. Can we make it right now? No, not now. Not now. The parable itself, let's identify the character's um, look at verses 24 through 30. Let's identify the characters. So let me point this out to you. As we see in verses 24 through 30, uh, notice again, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. Who is the man who sowed good seed? Let me just point these things out to you in quick order. That is the son of man. The one who sowed good seed in his field is to represent the son of man. Next, what is the field? He sowed good seed in his field. What is that? Well, that's the world. Okay, The Son of Man sows seed in the world. Uh, the good seed that the Son of Man sows in the world, the good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. The good seed represents the sons of the kingdom. What about the weeds? If the good seed is the sons of the kingdom, well, then the weeds, friends, are the sons of the devil, or the sons of the evil one the sons of the evil one. How about the enemy? 
you notice again, right? You saw in the text where it says, an enemy sowed these, what we probably believe was darnel, an, em- an enemy sowed these bad seeds. Who's that? Well, that's the devil. The parables of Jesus are wonderful. The enemy who sowed the bad seed is the devil. What about the harvest? The harvest, you could say, is the great judgment. That's really kind of the point this morning. The harvest is the end of the age. You got that? You're getting this? The harvest is the end of the age. What about the reapers? We looked at this last week in Hebrews chapter 1. The reapers are angels. So that's that's heading number one, the parable itself. The parable of the weeds. Heading number two, the explanation of the parable. The explanation of the parable, and that begins in verse 36. In the same way that the parable of the sower, remember Wit asked you to skip down to read the explanation. In the same way, there's things that come first, and then he gives the explanation. I want you to know that in just giving you what I gave you, I spent so many hours laboring and working so hard to give you the identity of each of these characters in the parable. And I just want you to think well of me. Uh, Look at verse 36, and you'll see that that's a joke. Look at verse 36. The parable of the weeds explained. This is one of those rare occurrences, just like the parable of the sower, it's one of those rare occurrences to where Jesus spells out the exact meaning of the parable. This is heading number two, the explanation of the parable. Look at it with me. Then he left the crowds, notice that, he left the crowds and went into the house and his disciples came to him saying, I'll just stop there for just a second. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, then you will receive more. You need to obey the word and you will receive more. And through the Holy Spirit and through the word, God will enlighten your mind If you're an unbeliever here this morning, then you need to, on the basis of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection, you need to even now, listen to me, even now you need to repent of your sins and cast yourself upon the mercy of God. Because if you read Matthew chapter 13, these parables served to keep the eyes of the hard-hearted, to keep their eyes shut and blind. That's a scary thing, my friend. So we need to say, God, open our eyes. All of us need to say, God, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things. And look at what Jesus said in verse 36. The disciples said, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And in verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. This is the definitive interpretation of this parable because it's from Jesus. Please notice verse 40. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, hell is real. 
Verse 43, but, that's my word, that's my word, but, but then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Even today, even today, he who has ears, let him hear. And so in verses 36 through 43, you have the explanation of the parable of the weeds of the field. In verses 24 through 30, you have the parable itself. Maybe we should not neglect what comes in between. Just notice that for a minute. I'm not going to comment on it, but could we just notice the word, what comes in between these two? The parable itself, and then its explanation. But in verse 31, look at that, verse 31. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, verse 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Verse 34. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, He said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Friends, the kingdom of God. Uh, here in Matthew, it's called the kingdom of heaven. Uh, there's, there's different emphasis. There's not a great deal of difference in the ultimate definition. You see this in the Gospels. The kingdom of God in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven, it really is unstoppable. It's unstoppable because it's the kingdom of God. And it's unstoppable because the kingdom of God has a certain king as the king of this kingdom, and it is none other than the perfect one who went on to give his life as a sacrifice on the cross at the end of this Gospel of Matthew, who was raised from the dead, who ascended, who is coming again, who will be seen as king. In fact, Matthew chapter 13 says, this kingdom is coming, and contrary, listen to me, contrary to expectation, blowing the mind of many of the Old Testament saints, contrary to much Old Testament expectation, this chapter teaches that the kingdom has come already in Jesus Christ, in the, with the king is among you, then the kingdom has come. Now the greatest thing that is yet to come, the greatest thing is that the king is still coming. And we will see the kingdom in all of its fullness. And maybe you've heard of this before. It's called, it's a fancy phrase, it's a good phrase, the already and the not yet. The already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is already among you because Jesus has come. Because the king has come, the king has died, his throne is a cross, he sat upon his throne, he rules from his throne, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, he was raised from the dead, he ascended to the Father, he, he reigns even now, and he's coming again. He's coming again. And so Matthew puts before us in Chapter 13, listen, the unstoppable growth of the kingdom, but it's not what we think. Because we look around and we see this world that is full of evil and that is full of evil people. And we get impatient. And part of that is good. Part of that is we should be impatient with evil. 
In fact, if you're not on one hand impatient with evil, it does not speak well of your knowledge of the Lord. Hate evil, you who love the Lord. Hate evil. But the problem is, is that we can become perfectionists. Listen, and we don't understand because understanding brings light and life. And we need the simple message of this parable. And the simple message is, listen, the end of the age. The end of the age. The end of the age. You see that? Look at the explanation again. Verse 39. The harvest, what does that represent? The end of the age. Verse 40. And just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so so will it be at the end of the age. The final judgment. Well, how about look at verse 47. Well, here's another one. Here's another one. Verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. Verse 49. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, the place of eternal punishment, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you notice the similarity between the parable of the net in 47 through 50? You know the similarity between that and this? Again, the thing that I'm underlining here is the end of the age, verse 49. The end of the age, verse 40. The end of the age, verse 39. The great judgment. There are only two ways to live. There are only two ways to live. Those two ways would be going your own way in rebellion against God or going God's way, which is to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Heading number one, the parable itself. Heading number two, the explanation of the parable. With Jesus' explanation in mind, verses 36 through 43, look at the parable again. Look at the parable itself again. Let's just get this. Verse 24. We won't apologize for repeating. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. Friends, Satan is real. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? Verse 29, But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds... You root up the wheat along with them. Verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Gather the wheat into my barn. There was a man, there was a family. I do not know this family. I do not know this man. 
This family noticed that they seemed to be fighting an ever-losing battle in their flower beds outside of their house. They wanted to stay on top of the mulching more than they had done in the past. They made the necessary preparations, making sure not to just band-aid over the problem. No, this would not be this time, would not be throwing mulch on top of a problem only to see it resurface two months later. The necessary preparations were made. It was thorough. Finally, the mulch was spread. The feelings were good. And weeds came up again. Amen. The man was under the delusion that this just shouldn't be. Unlike other people who had any experience at all with beds, he thought everything should be perfect now. Friends, everything is not perfect now. It will be. It will be. You will, uh, you will die a thousand deaths if you are seeking for perfection now. We do not understand it, but here it is. Here it is. The Lord allows evil to run its course in this life. That's it. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. We don't comprehend it fully, but really it's that simple, isn't it? This parable this morning from the Lord Jesus, even to us today, is not overly complicated. Please don't make it too too much than what it is. In one sense, it's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's dealing with universal truths. It's dealing with the great, listen, the great and final judgment. It's dealing with the fact that there's only two ways to live. There's only two kinds of people. No, don't overcomplicate this. Let's be honest. Sometimes this baffles us. Why? Why? Why does the Lord allow evil to run its course in this life the way He does? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Well, listen, we can be sure of this. There will come a day, a day that will make this great mystery. Just a tiny point in time. All will be well. The past dealings with evil will pale in comparison to God's clear judgment and justice and righteousness. All will be made right. Let me say something else. It's not our job today, now, to judge and to condemn. Listen carefully. Matthew 7 does teach that believers should judge with right judgment and be discerning. Oh man, we don't listen to the world who says, judge not! That's in the Bible. It's got context. It's not ours today to in any sense ultimately judge and to condemn. It is His tomorrow. The day is coming. That is His job. It is not ours. Hey, listen, good news. You don't have to pull weeds. That's cool. If, you, if you've trekked with this parable at all, what did He say to them? They said, hey, you want us to go ahead and go out there now, don't you? No, I don't. No, I've got my reasons. We don't understand. I've got my reasons. I don't want you to go and pull the weeds now. I want them both to grow together. Man, that's weird. I want them both to grow together. Until what? Until the end of the age. Until the end of the age. Until the end of the age. 
until the judgment day. No, it's not ours today to bring any sense of ultimate judgment because it is His tomorrow and He will take care of that. He will take care of that. Of course, this doesn't mean in the history of the church there's been a very significant, listen to me, there's been a very significant interpretation of this parable by people like Augustine, people we really appreciate, by some of the reformers, one of the key reformers whose name rhymes with Alvin. And, and they have taken this parable and they have said, this parable is ultimately teaching that the church is a mixed body. Now follow me for just a minute. They said, in my opinion, totally contrary to the New Testament, they said this parable of the weeds teaches that the church is a mixed body. And so their, their practical application of that is, it's a pretty significant interpretation, their practical application is don't be a perfectionist and not only don't be a perfectionist, but don't worry much at all about the purity of the church. Because according to this parable, God actually intends the purity of the church to be a mixed body. They say, you see, you see, God intends for the church to be a mixed body. My problem with their practical application of that, my problem with the practical application, don't worry about the purity of the church, is that's not what the rest of the New Testament says at all. And my other problem, can you see it in the text, anybody? It does not say, Jesus doesn't say, have you noticed this? It doesn't, Jesus didn't say the field is the church. He said the field is the world. By the way, by the way, this is why we're a Baptist church. We're a Baptistic church. You may, not first of all because of believer's baptism, but first of all because of what's called, listen to me, regenerate church membership. This is the key idea. The church and the world are distinct, my friend. The church and the, he says in here, the field is the world. Not that the field is the church. No, no, not that we should be on some type of sinful perfectionist pursuit to purify the church. But the New Testament is clear. We should seek the purity of the local church. It is a church of believers. And so believers' baptism is important. It's actually a component of what's called regenerate church membership. The New Testament is clear that it, the church is not a mixed body. It is a body of professing believers in Jesus Christ. The church actually must maintain her distinction from the world so that we can reach out to the world because at the end of Matthew's gospel, what does he give us? He gives us what's called the Great Commission. And we can reach the world in the power of grace and the gospel only by being distinct from the world. We've seen the parable itself and we've seen the explanation of the parable and you have been patient, and I will just rattle off some final lessons. I will give you some final lessons, and I would ask you to listen carefully. And don't take my word for it. Look again at the parable. Look again at the explanation. We read what came in between. You keep reading on after. Here's one. Look at verse 44. This is one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. Matthew 13, 44, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Rapid fire lessons. The devil is real. Ephesians chapter 6. 
it is to our peril and to our folly if we do not acknowledge the reality of Satan. And of course, we don't just say the devil is real. We realize he is like a roaring lion prowling around seeking whom he may devour. That's one lesson. The devil is real. Angels are real. Angels are real. Look at me, dear friend. Hell is real. And not just real, but it's awful. It's the wrath of God poured out on hard-hearted, rebellious sinners, which is all of us except for grace. Do you see what the Lord Jesus says over and over again? It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. No. It's been said, I think, that Jesus saves us from the wrath of Jesus. Hell is real. If you, just want to, if you just want to simplify this parable, if you just want to simplify this, and I hope that it's been at least somewhat simple, then Blomberg says it like this. Listen, here it is. God permits the righteous and the wicked to coexist in the world. We just got to understand this. God permits the righteous and the wicked to coexist in the world until the end of the age. The wicked will eventually be separated out and judged and destroyed Another lesson is that Jesus is in control. Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is this, this is His kingdom. He's the King of the kingdom. He's not, he's, he's calm, if I can say that. He's calm. He's not saying, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? No, He says, an enemy has done this. Our sovereign King is in control. There is absolutely such a thing as the final judgment. The church and the world are not the same thing. And remember in the context of this book, remember in the context of this book that all of this is mere, in one sense, preparation for the main point of each gospel, which is that the perfect spotless one, the Lamb of God, died on the cross for our sins, bearing the wrath of God in our place. He rose from the dead. All of this is Matthew. This is Matthew. He rose from the dead, from the grave triumphantly, he ascended back to His Father. He is coming again. His resurrection is for our justification. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He appeared to many. He gave the Great Commission. And He calls us today to repent of our sins. He calls us to avoid the type of perfectionism that we see here in this parable. And He says, wait. He says, you who love the Lord hate evil. I will make all things right. Work for the good today. Absolutely work for the good. But the King is coming. Let's pray together. Lord, our great hope is in Your acts. You're the Creator. You are the Redeemer. We have no way of saving ourselves at all. You came in at Christmas, as we say. You took on human flesh. You went to the cross. You and you alone could bear the wrath of God in our place. You drank the cup down to its dregs. You rose again. You are coming again. We cannot build your kingdom. We don't build your kingdom. We say, Father, your kingdom come. And we say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord. 
Help us on one hand to be jealous for the purity of the church. Help us also to see that it is not appropriate for us to assume that it's in our power to make all things right. Help us to live and to bear witness in this world. Help us to sow the good seed of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.